0: Welcome to another episode of the Cringe Binge Podcast. So we'll continue on reading from Flabyrinth so you can get to know me better. And that's the reason why I'm reading from the first couple of chapters of Flabyrinth because it really sets up my early childhood and it's a lovely bit of nostalgia back to the 80s before we get into the 90s, oh, that golden decade and all the madness of my teenage diaries. It's a good opportunity to get to know me, my personality and what I'm like and for you to reminisce about when you were a kid too. Now in this episode, we're going to be talking all about sweets. Oh, wouldn't you love an El Juan bar now? Do you know they still make them, except now they're made with no artificial colours or flavours, so they don't taste anything as good as the chemical shitstorm of e-numbers like back in our day. You know, no wonder we were all high as kites and running around all day long. I bet one handful of Skittles was the equivalent of taking an ecstasy tablet. So let's get stuck into those sweets now. Here we go. My favourite books as a child were the Emperor's new clothes because there was a picture of the Emperor in the nip and I thought this was just hilarious. And the magic cooking pot where the old lady made porridge in a pot that magically multiplied. So much so the porridge overflowed through the streets. I used to imagine myself opening my front door at home and seeing a creamy ocean of oats and gloriously diving into it with my mouth wide open. I read all of the Roald Dahl books as I loved how dark and twisted he was, especially in The Witches and the Twits. I had a cassette of his revolting rhymes, which were gruesome versions of fairy tales, where the alternative happy endings sounded like this. Little Red Riding Hood and the Wolf
1: What great big eyes you have, Grandma! said Little Red Riding Hood. All the better to see you with, the wolf replied. He sat there watching her and smiled. He thought, I'm going to eat this child. Compared with her old Grandmama, she's going to taste like caviar. Then Little Red Riding Hood said, But Grandma, what a lovely great big furry coat you have on. That's wrong, cried wolf. Have you forgot to tell me what big teeth I've got? Ah, well, no matter what you say, I'm going to eat you anyway. The small girl smiles. One eyelid flickers. She whips a pistol from her knickers. She aims it at the creature's head, and bang, bang, bang! she shoots him dead. A few weeks later, in the wood, I came across Miss Riding Hood. But what a change. No cloak of red, no silly hood upon her head. She said, Hello, and do please note... My lovely fairy wolfskin
0: coat. But no book made me eagerly turn more pages than Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. If I'd gotten a chance to dive into it, I would have been in that chocolate river like an Olympic synchronised swimmer bringing home the gold medal for Ireland. I had a real life Willy Wonka moment in 1989 at our annual family treasure hunt. That year, at the resulting barbecue in the summer sun, my uncle's brother, who worked for Cadbury's, was in charge of the prizes. Each family received a three foot by two foot purple branded box filled with chocolate bars and sweets. There must have been 500 Cadbury's products in each. There was a riot in the garden as they were dished out. Some of the families had four or five kids, so they were scrapping amongst themselves, stashing sweets in every available pocket and orifice before our parents, who were tipsy on the vino, could tell us all to calm down and not eat everything at once. Luckily, there was just me and Barry and our family to divide our box between. Two hundred and fifty bars each, I calculated ecstatically. I remember having a near death by chocolate experience when I poured two packets of creamy white buttons into my mouth simultaneously and choked on them. I somehow managed not to turn blue by beating myself repeatedly on the chest, then swallowing them and shoveling in more. Myself and all my cousins were in chocolate paradise. Eventually the box was taken off us and put in the boot of the car to be rationed out over the coming year. It lasted a mere couple of months. The coveted box was kept at home in the utility room. I had Barry well trained as my accomplice. He would keep sketch as I rifled through the Cadbury's goodies, grabbing as much as I could fit into my pockets, and then we'd run off up the garden and hide in the greenhouse and stuff our faces while laughing our furtive heads off.
2: Right, here we go. What date is it, Barry? It's the 18th 18th of the 2nd in 1990. How old are you? Eight. And Julianne? Ten and a half. Right. We haven't recorded for a long time. Yeah. What did we do today?
3: We went on a big long walk to Mass.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Oh, well, we were out for two hours. Good. And um what else? Where were you
2: yesterday? Oh yeah, we stayed the night in Anne's My mum and dad went up to Julia's wedding. And what did you do in Anne's? And we danced for six hours. Six hours? Yeah, we were dancing in, in their you know the room of yes. What sort of dancing? You know, we're just dancing to the thing. we're doing exercise.
3: Good. And, and what did you do about uh, well, Yeah, uh, Yeah, and in the morning, we, um, we got all the couches together
2: in a circle and we walked around him and ran around him and everything for about two hours. That's very good. And I didn't stop once. What were you doing? I was walking around and around and around and around, around the couch. Oh yeah, and I was playing the... Um, the keyboard? Yeah. I loved it. Right, so what else are you doing with your lives at the moment? What do you do? Do you have any poems or anything now? You're past that stage.
4: Mm.
2: You don't really um, say poems or sing songs or anything anymore. You're getting so big. Is that it now? Do you want to say goodbye? No. no. no what children interests you at the moment? Mm. Did you hear the story about the boy who swallowed mm. a tadpole? No. And it grew into a frog in his stomach and he had to be operated on. He was swimming and swallowed a tadpole and he was complaining of a pain in his tummy and they just thought he was sick. So eventually they had to operate on him. And they found a live frog in his stomach. What did they do? They took the frog out. Was there any poison in there? What did he live on? The like food the
4: boy swallowed. That's disgusting. Isn't it unbelievable? There.
2: What
4: age is he?
2: He was a ten year old boy. <laughs> Imagine a frog in your throat. Kiss those frogs, goodbye. Right then. Do you to say goodbye? Yeah. Oh, I what I was going to say. What was I going
4: to say? That's really it. You don't do very much,
0: these days. We did a lot of sneaky sweet-stealing over the years. We were like chocolate-thieving ninjas. I found the best way to get me to stop biting my nails was to know that Christmas was approaching. Therefore, I would be well-equipped to peel the sellotape off the lid of Cadbury's roses, which weren't to be opened until Christmas week take a handful and expertly replace the tape so it looked untouched. By the time Christmas would roll around, there'd only be half a tin of sweets left and Mum would be saying, oh, they're putting less and less in these tins every year as Barry and I would be slyly looking at each other with Machiavellian grins. Our crafty ritual was disrupted one year when the tape on the tin was changed and it came branded with the Cadbury's logo. Our clear tape wasn't going to cut it as a replacement, so we had to improvise a new strategy. After much deliberation, we decided it was best to very delicately peel off the tape halfway around. This had to be done with surgical precision. Just enough to lift the lid a fraction, shake out some sweets, close the lid and then gently press the tape back into place. I still recall the adrenaline rush while praying it wouldn't tear. Dad did printing work for HB and came home one day with a big box filled with tubs of ice cream and magnums. This was not to be touched as it was to last the whole summer and placed in the deep freezer. Again, Barry and I employed the sellotape trick, cleverly opening it from the bottom of the box so there'd be no evidence of our larceny. When Dad did go to take the box from the freezer, it was light as a feather, and we of course got into huge trouble once we confessed. My Dad has a remarkable ability to delay gratification. This is evidently a legacy I didn't manage to absorb from the gene pool. On Sundays, the only day of the week we'd have a dessert, mum would serve up either stewed apple and custard or a bowl of ice cream with tinned fruit cocktail and if she was going all out, it was angel delight with sliced banana. The height of 80 Barry and I would have ours inhaled so quickly it barely brushed past our taste buds. Whereas dad would leave his to sit in the bowl. Sometimes for hours on end. After dinner, we'd all be doing the dishes together, listening to Dire Straits or David Bowie songs, and I'd be eyeballing his bowl of dessert safely resting on the countertop, melting away. I could never comprehend how he had the ability to restrain himself from immediately devouring it when it landed on the table with the rest of ours. Actually, it's a wonder I managed to withhold myself from polishing off his vionetta and telling him the dog ate it while he was drying the dishes. Dad had mastered the art of restraint. I was as instant as smash. The club milk bars in the press were our favourite thing to thieve. They'd come in a family pack of 15. We'd nick them three or four at a time. They were kept up in a high press in the kitchen. So one of us would keep sketch while the other hopped up on the kitchen worktop, delicately balancing on one leg like a well-trained ballerina, then stretching out the other foot to rest it on the handle of the oven door, Whip open the press, grab, jump down and go. We had it down to a fine art. When the club milks ran out, it was on to the dangerous territory of pilfering the Kit Kats. Now if stealing a club milk was a venial sin, then stealing a Kit Kat was a mortal one. They were easily accessible sitting in the fridge door, but they were mum and dad's Kit Kats for their coffee breaks. There were strict rules around them and only when we got so desperate that we felt our sugar levels dropping into near ketosis did we go for these and pray we wouldn't get caught or we would have been killed. While watching TV in the living room, we'd unwrap our haul of contraband and casually shove the wrappers down into the crack in the side of the sofa as we munched away, delicately nibbling the chocolate from around the edge of the club milk chipping away at it until just the interior biscuit was revealed and then that was duly dissected. Eventually, the wrappers would build up to such an immense collection that when you sat down, there would be an audible rustle of the tinfoil and paper crinkling in the couch and mum or dad would pull up the cushion, revealing the countless empty packets of evidence and then yell, "Juliet Barry, get in here now!' And we would peg it out the back door as fast as our sugar fueled legs could carry us.
4: What do you do all day long? Because when when the years go by, this is what we want to know. What's your I see? Who's your who are your friends, Julianne?
3: Um Yvonne Yvonne, Yvonne Fitzpatrick and Adele Class. Yes. And they're both age age six. Alright, what's Ooh. coming up very soon now for you? on the 24th of May is my first Holy communion and after Easter is my play and I have to say King Grumpy's only daughter was wise and young and, and beautiful but no one came to court her though so she was very beautiful
4: on, very okay. nice. Lulu now we'll come back to you nine, nine a second nine, nine. now Barry you tell me what you do every day where do you go I go to the country. Didn't you, don't? Where do you go? I did. Up <laughs> the road at ten o'clock. Where do you go? Nah. To play. Play. Play school. No. Where, where is Daddy today? It's Good Friday. Yes. Yeah, he's at work. He's at work. Where yeah, he he work. Where does he work? In
3: IPR. It's my turn. IPR. Barry. My turn.
2: Okay. Now, that, uh, if you're going to shout we have to talk to Julian instead. Right now, you stay quiet for a second, right
4: Julianne? Tell me all about yourself now.
2: Oh,
4: uh, can I say a poem? No, well, we won't say poems because they waste all the tape. No, we want to talk about you. Um,
3: do you know what? Um, I, I my first Holy of communion, I'm wearing Nana's medal and um this sh- jewellery shop showing it all up and now it's gorgeous. Very good, yes, that's right, isn't and it? And I, I can touch the room.
2: You cannot. I can. Now, and mm. I have to say, too, that Julianne and Barry are always fighting. And they're very noisy. And they get up
4: in the morning. <laughs> and and well, tomorrow
3: I'll be up well, at 2 o'clock in the morning watching um, TV AM. And I'll be watching Superstore. And I'll be watching Number 73. And I'll be watching Wide Awake. Mm-hmm. So, and I'll
4: be what do you shit. think of life? I Are you having a good time? Yes! No! <laughs> Are the two of you happy? Yes! Are you ever sad?
3: No! My name is, po- no. <laughs> is Pookie. No. So when we finish there, is it's at
4: the end, say goodbye! I know.
3: goodbye! wait, I just have to do the monkey! This is
4: a monkey! Oh no, I don't want to! I'm... <laughs> <laughs> well that goes, we'll end
0: I know most kids idolise sweets, but I do wonder if I was even more obsessed than your average child. I vividly recall Santa bringing me a toy shop for Christmas when I was four. The first thing I did was rip the lid off the tub of hundreds and thousands and knock them back into my mouth. But it's not like sweets were alien to me. We were allowed to have sweets growing up. We had a club milk bar daily in our lunch boxes. We got 50p after mass on a Sunday to spend in the shop. Mum and dad were always generous with the, Okay, then you can have a Kit Kat because you did all your homework in silence. We weren't deprived, yet I was bewitched by sweets to the degree that I would always be wondering where my next source of chocolate or crisps was coming from. My nightly prayers included a request to holy God that there would be no wafer in my Kit Kat so I could send it back to Nestle and complain. As they didn't just send you a measly two-stick replacement Kit Kat back in the post. Rumour had it that they compensated you with a whole packet of Kit Kats, sometimes two. And if they came in an envelope addressed to me, then I was sorted. I regularly reminded mum and dad that it was a federal offence to open someone else's mail, as I'd heard that in an American TV show. Here's two letters I have written that are stuck into my baby book. January 1989, age nine and a quarter. Dear Tato, I am writing to complain about my monster munch. It was stale. I kept it in a dry place in the six-pack bag. I opened a packet one morning and they tasted stale. It said on the packet, best before 17th of February. Very annoyed. Julianne Call. Another letter, March 1990, aged ten and a half. Dear Oatfield, I purchased a packet of your Eskimo mints in Quinsworth in Stillorgan. When I opened the sweets, they were all crushed and in bits. I was very disappointed. Please find the packet enclosed as I would like a replacement. Thank you. Very upset. julie Ann Call. My brother Barry and I would get up very early on Saturday mornings, go into the living room and make a fort out of the sofa cushions, cover it in blankets and then go into the kitchen to pour ourselves two gigantic bowls of cereal. I always chose the biggest breakfast bowl and filled it with cornflakes and Alpen until it looked like a muesli mountain. I would then delicately stick my finger in the centre of the breakfast volcano to make a well and pour in the milk ever so slowly to prevent it gushing down the sides of the peak and overflowing off the edge of the bowl. I would then carefully carry the bowl into the living room, leaving a trail of milk all along the way, and Barry and I would enter our fort batten down the hatches and watch cartoons for hours. We got on great growing up as we were just as devilish as each other. Sometimes we would pretend we hated each other, but we didn't really. We even had a secret handshake. Refusing to shake hands with each other at mass for the peace be with you bit because we were like, I am so not touching your smelly hand. It's probably covered in poo and snots. We would instead just briefly touch the tips of our little fingers together. We still do it to this day. It's funny how that little ritual grew over the years to represent even more sibling affection than any embrace. I know he'll listen to that heartfelt statement and say to me, oh, that line made me puke in my own mouth. Now, what way does that song about the
2: crocodile go? How does it start? She said, mm-hmm. Think about it now. She. She sailed
3: away on a lovely thumpet on the back of a crocodile. You see, said she, he the same as tame can be. I'll float him down the aisle. So the croc twinkled eye as she waved them all goodbye, smiling a happy smile. At the end of the ride, the lady was inside. And the smile on the dial.
1: Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.
4: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com
1: slash switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Barry and I were a force to be reckoned with. Oh, our poor babysitter Kate from up the road wasn't paid enough to put up with us. High on e-numbers from Skittles, which were soon after outlawed, We once took her shoes, filled them with pebbles and then threw them into a bush of six foot high nettles. For the laugh. At least poor Kate only had to endure us once a month for a few hours. I don't know how mum had the patience to put up with our cunning plans. I think she just laughed her way through it as there was no point in trying to dampen our undeniable determination. Any resistance would have made us even more resolute. Mum has written this in my baby book. February 1992, age 12 and a half. You have a bad flu at the moment and are confined to bed. You asked me to get you a pot noodle. And of course, I wouldn't hear of buying such rubbish. So you wrote this note to Barry and asked me to give it to him. Barry, get me a pot noodle at the shops. Bolognese flavour. You can have the change and two of my throat lozenges. One pound is in the envelope. Jules. When he read the note, he asked me was I going to Quinsworth. I said... Maybe. Just add a little drama to the plan. We went anyway, and when we got there, Barry said he'd be back in a minute. When he returned, he had the thing in the bag. Really made me laugh. You would eat nothing but rubbish if I let you. You had the pot noodle and then spent the following day on the toilet with chronic constipation, and you now vow that you're never eating a pot noodle ever again. Just proves how really bad they are. I wonder how, when we consumed as much sugar as we did as kids, that our waistlines weren't the size of tractor tires. Having pondered, I think there are two reasons. One, food in the 80s and 90s wasn't as processed as it is these days. Yeah, it contained sugar, but not at the level of foodstuffs these days. And two, we ran around all day long. We moved to Carrick Mines when I was six to a house on an acre of land. So our new back garden was huge. We would bolt out the back door after breakfast and play with our best friends up the road, a family named the Berries, for the entire day only coming back in when we heard lunch or dinner hollered by mum. We'd play tip the can and army and chasing and only a torrential thunderstorm with a threat of lightning electrocution would force us back inside. The Berries always had lovely things in their fridge, And their mum, the coincidentally named Mary Berry, made the best chocolate profiteroles on the planet. They even had a soda stream. Oh, I was so jealous. On rainy days when we weren't playing basketball outside, Mags, who was my bestest berry friend and I, would spend hours in the kitchen pretending we had our own cooking show on TV. Our eye line was to the microwave across the room, which was the camera. And we'd put on posh voices and guide the imaginary viewers through the recipe. Most of the time it was milkshakes or butterfly buns that we made. And then, of course, we'd scoff them. We ate an entire apple tart between us one day and poor Mags was doubled over afterwards and had to lie down. I was grand and ready for seconds. It's funny the difference with kids nowadays. The childhood obesity crisis is worse than it ever was. And I wonder, is it because kids don't run around as much as we used to? Is it because they're all glued to electronic devices while sitting on the sofa? We didn't have mobile phones or tablets back in the day. We could leave the house and be gone for hours playing in the forest at the back of our garden and mum and dad would never worry about us or where we were. Nowadays, kids have to text their parents every 15 minutes to let them know that they haven't been abducted by a child snatcher. It's sad, really, when you think about it. Speaking of sad, would you think I was pathetic if I told you that I still sleep with my security blanket? Well, I'm going to admit it, because I love him. His name is Fuddy and he brings me immense comfort. I just love the feel of him. Sadly, he isn't my original Fuddy. My first footie was the blanket I was wrapped in as a baby. He was pink, white, yellow and blue and made from soft wool. I would run his tassels through my fingers for hours on end. Over the years he became shabby and mum would have to sew him back together every so often. I would cry every time he went into the washing machine because I thought he'd drown. When I was 18, I went on a piss-up holiday to the Canaries with the girls to celebrate finishing school. And of course, footy came along too. We had to change apartments after being threatened by some looper man for reneging on buying tickets for a club night we decided we didn't want to go to. Crazy man came knocking at our apartment door shouting his head off. We were so terrified we changed rooms. In the scramble to gather our stuff, I forgot to bring Fuddy who was tucked safely under my pillow. When I realised the next day, I freaked and desperately asked at reception if I could return to our room to get him. When I did, he was gone. I was so upset. Mum got me a new footy when I returned and reluctantly over time I fell in love with him just as much. Whenever Barry wants to piss me off he says footy has been used as a cleaning rag in the canaries. (laughs) They probably use him to mop up shite in the jacks. And nothing can cut me to the core more than the vision of that. Poor footy. I hope he's okay wherever he ended up. And Barry, you're a bollocks.
4: Julianne is standing here beside me and she's holding Fuddy because she loves Fuddy. Do you? Yeah. How do you feel about him? him? You do? And she has a dodo in her month at five and a half.
0: I'd love to go back to being a kid again. Life was so carefree. No bills or responsibilities. The only thing I had to endure was school. I liked primary school and loved meeting my friends by the bin to pretend we were sharpening our pencils so we could have a chat. I especially loved getting the job to go outside and bang the duster. And playtime in the yard was brilliant, but I hated schoolwork. I found it tedious. I only liked art time when we got to crack open the paints, put on our dad's old shirt backwards and go bananas. Luckily, I had a teacher in sixth class who was really liberal her boyfriend would come in and visit her on a regular basis with his dog that was exactly like the one in the Dulux paint ad. And we'd all put on our coats and go for a nature walk in the local park. So they'd have an excuse to spend time together and she could have a fag. That year, our unconventional teacher didn't stick to the curriculum and we pretty much had free rein to do what we wanted each day. The nerds got stuck into their figure-it-out maths books while I spent months making loads of campaign posters for Mary Robinson who was running for the presidential election and I hung them up all over the school. Girl power and all that. I think this freedom with art time is where my true passion for expressing myself creatively was born. I'd always get a Pavlovian thrill when the bell would ring signalling break time and we all whipped out our lunchboxes. I had the same thing nearly every day brown bread ham and cheese sandwich. Sometimes it had tomato in it, making it sumptuously soggy. A mandarin, a club milk bar and a flask of Kiora orange squash. The odd time I'd get a banana, which would inevitably be made into a smoothie by my books at the bottom of my bag. I was always jealous of the girls who were allowed to have sandwiches filled with chocolate spread. Not a hope in hell mum was smearing that on our sandwiches. On many occasions, to satisfy my tummy rumbles, I'd scoff all of my nose bag at little break and then hugely regret it come lunchtime. So I'd have to scab my way around the class like Oliver Twist to see if I could get my hands on any discarded sandwich crusts. Nearly once a week, there was always someone in the class who'd forget their lunch. It happened to me a couple of times and it was the best day ever as everyone would donate a little bit of their lunch so you ended up having a lovely little eclectic picnic. Unequivocally, though, the best day in school was cake sale day. This was amazing for two reasons. One, you got to make a cake and bring it in for the sale. So I would always suggest to mum that we should make buns instead. Therefore, she wouldn't notice if some went missing the night before. Whereas a chunky slice taken out of a cake would have been more evident. But I wouldn't have put it past me. Once our buns were donated, we got to buy a cake at the sale the best one we ever got was the Humpty Dumpty. It was almost too pretty to eat. Almost. It consisted of a Battenberg cake cleverly acting as the checkered brick wall that Humpty was sitting on and his body was made from a chocolate easter egg with iced legs, arms and face. Once Barry and I had posed for a photo with Humpty, all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again because Barry and I had decapitated him in a savage assassination with iced bloodshed until there was just some shrapnel of crumbs remaining. I
4: know what we do, we just talk about what we just did. What did we make? We put our buns and we made a big cake and it's just ready. Hmm, what's it for? The Christmas fair. That's right. And we're selling everything. What's the Christmas Fair? Um, Where you can buy everything. What for? Um, Your letter! Why do they have a Christmas Fair? I don't know. That's so that they can raise money for the school to buy a whole load of new books and things. Don't do that to me. Sorry. You're not supposed um, to, to. get all the money for the school. Mm. that's really good. Business. So no. Barry. Yeah. Oh, poor Barry has got a fever, and so has Julianne. Isn't that right? And um, Barry's bum bum was on and um, sore. Um, are you coming to the Christmas fair? Yeah. Uh, even. Even what? Even like I'm coming to the Christmas. <laughs> Christmas fair. Good! And you can go and see Santi at the Christmas fair. Yeah, and I'll go and see Santi. Oh, what are you going to get from Santi when he comes Eight, on? Christmas <coughs> Barry, have you made up your mind what you'd like Santy to bring? Don't pinch me, Barry. I will. That's really bold. What would you like to say? Every time we speak it makes those red lights come on. You say something. I want you to get out of my chair. Isn't that dreadful I'm Isn't that dreadful now? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, alright. And I love you too. I will I, I hope not. Because that makes me very sad. Would it's not daddy. No yes.
0: Joined at the hip since junior infants, my best mate in school was Andrea. We referred to each other under our pseudonyms Gertrude and Jacinta. And just for the bants, we would talk to each other in a strong Dublin accent. We both shared a love for Care Bears, Bananarama and sweets. When Dad, whose company printed the tray liners for McDonald's, was invited to the opening of a new McDonald's in Stillorgan Shopping Centre, there was only one obvious choice as to who was going to be my plus one. Jacinta screamed, Are you joking me, Gertie? with excitement when I told her that we were going to meet Ronald Macdonald, and we talked about nothing else in the run-up to it. At what felt like a swanky soiree to my youthful eyes, Because all the adults were drinking wine in a fast-food restaurant, we ran up to the counter with the tenor that Dad had given us to order our happy meals. Going to McDonald's was a rarity for us, so the thrill was inexplicable and our minds duly melted when we discovered that all the food was free. Anything we wanted on the menu was on Ronald's tab. I turned to Andrea and told her, I'm going to marry Ronald. He is the best. And then rattled off my order to include, in addition to my hamburger happy meal, six chicken nuggets, a chocolate donut, and not one, but two ice cream sundaes because I couldn't decide whether I'd prefer strawberry or caramel. Needless to say, we couldn't polish off half of it. And as soon as we got home, I puked like a garden sprinkler. Still though, Best day ever. And a photo of myself and Ronald ended up in the newspaper the following day. Surely a sign that he was my betrothed and we were going to live happily ever after. While Barry was my accomplice at home for getting my paws on sweets, in school I formed an alliance with Andrea, who was my trusty accessory for toothsome missions. At after school tennis practice, we used to purposely lob the tennis ball up over the fence so they disappeared into the field. Then we'd ask our instructor Pam for the keys to her car so we could go and get some more balls from her boot. Giggling hysterically like the brats we wear, we opened our car, rifled the ashtray for coins and sprinted to the local shop to buy sweets. We'd be gone for ages and, of course, never came back with any replacement tennis balls. Just blue stained lips from the Mr Freeze ice pops and sticky fingers from the dip dabs. Thankfully, poor old Pam, who was trying to control a riot of other kids, never noticed. Or maybe she did, but was just thankful for a break from her two most disruptive tennis unenthusiasts in her class. By fourth class, when we were around the age of 10, the teacher started to notice changes in Andrea's behaviour and appearance. Every day she would ask me to bring in an extra flask of my Kiora orange squash, which I happily did because she was my bestest buddy, until the size of the bottle started to increase to two litres. I thought it strange but put it down to the fact that it must just be thirsty work being my best friend as we talked a lot. When Andrea's weight dropped rapidly she was taken to hospital and diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. It turns out that extreme thirst was one of the telltale symptoms. I had never even heard of such a disease and I was very upset that my beloved friend was so unwell. I remember being shocked at seeing her frail state when I visited her in hospital. After reading up on it, Mum explained to me what diabetes was and told me that Andrea wasn't ever going to be able to eat or drink sugar ever again. Hmm, oh dear, well maybe it's not so bad, Mum. I mean, what's sugar in anyway? I inquired. Mum explained that it was in anything sweet like chocolate, cakes and our cherished stinger bars. My ears pulled back. What? So Andrea's never going to be able to eat sweets ever again? I exclaimed in horror. Mum told me, sadly, yes. If she does, she'll be very sick. She'll have to prick her finger a few times a day to extract some blood and measure her glucose levels, and she'll have to inject herself with insulin every day for the rest of her life. I was flabbergasted. I wondered if we were being punished for stealing from Pam, our tennis coach. And I also wondered if I too was going to get this dreaded diabetes. How did you catch it? Had someone sneezed on Andrea? Surely you don't get it from eating too much sweets. In that case, I was nearly planning my own funeral. So as a mark of solidarity and to cop myself on, I decided to address my sugar addiction by cutting down and I never ate any sweets when I was around Andrea. Looking back, it seems that addiction starts in the cradle. When we are babies, we are appeased with a breast or bottle of milk or the aptly named soother. In America, they call it a pacifier And it's clear to see that from an early age, we are all consoled and comforted by our parents who don't want to see us in any state of distress. It's just the way it's always been. It's not the baby's fault. They don't wail their heads off thinking, "Ah, I just have a lot of feelings. They're just pre-programmed to get boobs or cry trying. Snappers, as cute as they are with their chubby cheeks and shite-filled nappies, don't come with removable batteries or an on-off switch. So what else is an exhausted parent to do? I had a soother until I was four. I called it my dodo and I graphically remember mum telling me that I was far too old for it and it had to go. She was absolutely right. I was four. Thank God I skipped play school or the other kids would have wedged me on a daily basis because of it. On a frazzled whim, my dodo was swiftly banished by mum and thrown out the upstairs bedroom window into the back garden. But as far as I could comprehend, it had disappeared into the abyss and I was thrown into a state of trauma and cried until I was blue. Like the colour blue, not sad blue. Oh, well, that too, actually. Oh, you know what I mean. Well, there you go. That's it for this episode. The next episode is an interview with the amazing Mairead Ronan. And guess what's up in the following episode? Sex. Oh yeah, we're going there. We're going into all the riding and the sex education. And we're going to delve into STEAM, the raunchy erotic novella I wrote aged just 15 when I hadn't a rashers about riding. Not a clue. And that's why it is comedy gold. So I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Please remember to click on the subscribe button so it'll tell you when new episodes are out. And if the Cringe Binge podcast is making you think about your past and your teenage diaries, then I would love to hear from you. I'm going to be reading listeners' diaries in future episodes. So if you have some cringy gold in a drawer somewhere, then please get in touch. All the details are on my website. It's cringebingepodcast.com. I'm your host, Jules Call, and this is the Cringe Binge Podcast, My 90s Teenage Diary, brought to you by Acast, home of the world's best podcasts.